Hi, I'm James Batchelor, and you're listening to the Games Industry.biz podcast. I'm here at E3 2018, and I'm joined by Kate Edwards. Kate, how are you doing? Good. For the few people who are listening and may not know who you are, like, tell us a little about, about yourself, what you do for a living, what you've done previously. Sure. So I've been, as of April 2018, I've been in the industry for 25 years, um, doing what I call culturalization work. So I'm basically a geographer who helps game developers avoid making political and cultural mistakes. And um, for the last five years, I was the executive director of the International Game Developers Association, in which I was advocating for developers and things that impact them. And uh, since I left about a year ago, I've still been very vocal about advocacy work and still doing culturalization work and just kind of being a, a, a voice at large. Nice. And um, we're here to talk about your mo- most recent venture, the, the 50 over 50 list. Um, with more on the list itself in a, in a bit, but the main reason you started this was to combat the, or to, to, to bring up the discussion of ageism within the industry. There's a lot of discussion about sexism, racism, the need for diversity, always meaning like kind of, almost always meaning genders and, mm. and yeah, ethnic minorities and like the, the, that, that side of the spread. But why is age an important topic discuss what how do you define ageism in the industry well I think I mean here's the thing so I mean in, in the five years I ran the IGDA I, I spoke to literally thousands and thousands of developers of pretty much every demographic you can imagine all around the world and there's very common themes that I would hear of course I hear about sexism issues all the time I hear about racism issues in some markets um, but also ageism is a major factor because what I heard it from the most is people who even as young as 35 years old find that let's say their studio shut down or they moved on from a project and they're 35, 36, whatever, they go to another company and they find it really difficult to get a job. And it even gets worse for people in their 40s and 50s where, I mean, I've, I've, I have examples of people who ran their own companies. They started their own company, CEO, mm. you know, made this company a huge thing, eventually walked away from it, um, and then they wanted to find some other role in the industry. They didn't want to just, you know, kind of go on the golden retirement or anything. So they said, I want to be active in the industry and find a job. Well, they go interviewing for all these different, you know, C-level jobs or even other like mid-manager jobs at companies and they don't get the jobs. Even though they have this amazing demonstration of their skill set, and yet they're seeing that the jobs are being filled and they're being filled by younger people. And, um, you know, we know this in the tech sector. It's been a tech sector issue for a long time. And um, and I think that's one of the things, I mean, because games are essentially a subset of the tech sector to mm. a certain degree, um, you know, I think we've seen that bleed over where there's this amazing value put on youth. Um, but I actually think from a more of a management standpoint, it's not, it's, yeah, it's youth and energy, but it's also lower cost. Yes. That's yeah, big, that big could, could be a factor. I mean, so, I mean... Is that enough of a motive? Like, why? Why are people turning down these these older people with with this that amount of experience? Even if you haven't been in the industry consistently for your entire career, like you're still bringing experience, even from other sectors. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the older you get, the more experience you have. Unless you unless you are sitting in a cave, like you are <laughs> always gaining experience. So, yeah. why are companies, why are employers turning that down? Well, I I think one of the things is, that is why it makes a little more unique in games and will end in tech in general is because. Technology. Technology is evolving very quickly. And I think there's implicit assumptions made a lot of times, especially in the hiring process, that how in the world can this person possibly understand um, 
the technology of today when they got their degree, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years ago, they mastered COBOL, you know, or whatever it might be. Maybe they made a little money on Y2K, but, um, you know, but what, how can their skill set be useful now? And I think that is often a huge misperception that is put across that the, you know, technology is so fluid and it's so dynamic that how could someone older possibly be, I guess, a digital native in that technology compared to someone in their 20s? Mm. But, you know, of course, it's, it's a, kind of, a, to me, it's a ridiculous assertion because it's like you have all that accumulated wisdom. If you've been in tech for 10, 15, 20 years, you have an amazing perspective on the evolution of the technology and you have a lot of wisdom about what can work and what cannot work instead of just sort of unbridled youthful passion that excuse me, that this startup, our thing is going to be the thing. And of course, yeah. a year later, they're bankrupt or they're gone. Um, and I think that's, and one of the things that I think is really fascinating to me is that, especially in the game sector, as we are all mostly geeks of some stripe, um, we consume so much fiction and media where we adore and value aged, wise, um, uh, you know, mentors. Yeah. You know, Gandalf, Dumbledore, um, you know, uh, Yoda, Obi-Wan, Mr. Miyagi. I mean, all of these characters in fiction, the Oracle and the Matrix, you know, Antiope yeah. and Wonder Woman, all of these different characters who are, are seen clearly in the, in the fiction as being hyper-valuable. You know, they are indispensable to the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And yet in our world, people of that same caliber are just kind of worthless in the workplace. Brief tangent, like we we don't see many of those characters within games. Like I remember, like the bigger deal about like Splinter Cell when it first came out is like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy's like an older grizzled guy. I mean, we're starting to get that. Like Kratos is now older yes, and grizzled. That's right. um, so, like, and, and I think as developers get older, they will be making more characters that are older that reflect themselves. Hopefully, but right. I mean, would that help? I do. I do think it would help because I mean, I'll, I think a lot of times if we can show by example mm. that you know, I, I think the, the re most recent God of War is a great example where you took a character who you know in the previous iteration was just kind of more in his prime, and now he's acting more of a mentor guide role, and I think that's really appropriate. I mean, there's certainly a place for it in our fiction, just as much as the film or any or literature, or whatever else. Um, I mean, for example, I would love to see an older Lara Croft, maybe in her 40s or early 50s, <laughs> who's like maybe mentoring a young woman to kind of follow her path or even forget the mentoring just be 40 or 50 and she's still kicking ass Do you know what? I swear I've read that Rihanna Pratchett the woman who wrote the um, the, the mm -hmm. writer behind the rebooted team yeah. Reader, she wants to see that she wants to have I the chance I would love to, to see that they should do that they, they should yeah they should. Um, I mean we, we're, we're all view, we're watching Indiana Jones at 60 years old yes you know and we all accept that as being cool old Han Solo was just as cool as that's young right. Han Solo that's right cooler than the new solo young solo yeah I agree that, that's <laughs> Definitely a tangent. <laughs> so going back to like looking at like you know, opportunities for older people within the games industry, like it strikes me that also, to a lesser extent, like like ageism kind of blocks out those who haven't had a chance at games before their later years. Yes. Um, and I say later years, I mean anything from thirty-five upwards, as you, as yeah. you say. Like, yeah. but you know, the barriers to games and uh, games development, for example, are so low now mm -hmm. that yeah, like yeah, people are coming in, like you know. Um, I, I don't. I have confessed. I don't know his name, but I'm. I'm. A, I, I think that the the man, the, the lone man studio behind the Escapists, right, was an older guy. Well, right. you know, certainly older than your typical youth bedroom coder. <laughs> like he had, you mm -hmm. know, already established a career as a roofer. Right. Decided that I'm going to try games development as a kind of a hobby. I'm interested. Like, mm -hmm. and has made this you know 10 million selling game. Right. Like, <laughs> 
is ageism kind of preventing us from getting that talent, that experience? You don't have that in books. Like you can, yeah. you can write a book at any age. Right. Why can't we make a game at any age? Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the problem. I think on the institutional side, at least the quote industry side, where we have the machine of game development, um, and you have entrenched HR practices and the value of youth and all these things that I think we clearly, in my view, have adopted from the tech sector. Um, but fortunately, because of indie development and because of the you know the democratization of game development, we are seeing people like that example, um, people who are older, who maybe they're an accountant, maybe by you know they're in their forties, but, but they love games, so they go home at night and they you know plug away at Unity and they're developing a game on their own on the side. And I actually know people like that. You know, and to them it's a hobby. It's not going to be a, a profession. Although they will admit, yeah, I would love to work in games. It'd be really cool. But at this, but a lot of times they just resign themselves to the fact. Well, like, there's no way I'm getting a job. Yeah. At my age, they just assume they won't, um, and many of them don't even try, and so they just kind of keep it as on the hobby level, you know. And of course, there's a lot of other life factors that go along with that. People in their 40s and 50s, of course, are likely married. Mm. They have, a, or they have a partner. They likely may have kids, and so they have a sort of a um, a whole structure that they need to support. And you know, quitting your day job and going off to be an indie at that age with yeah. all of that kind of dependency is really not realistic. And um, you know, some do if they have the opportunity, but ma many don't because of that, and that makes it that makes it a real challenge. And so, I think that's one of the factors that also makes it difficult. Um, of course, when a company is going to hire somebody, I mean, they can look at someone who's like has producer skills and who might be, let's say, they're 45. Mm. And say this person's amazing. They've worked on several franchises and all this other stuff, but they also have a family. Um, they have need relocation expenses, they need health insurance, they need all this other stuff, all the overhead that goes with that person as opposed to this 20-something out of school who has, is like a star, they, they show that they have good producer aptitude, uh, let's just give them a chance instead. Yeah. They'll be at least half the price. I mean, you know, talking about the, the other life commitments kind of outside of work, like opens up another kind of subset of people mm -hmm. who suffer from ageism, um, and anecdotally, like mums. I've heard that there yes. are mums who have trouble getting back into the industry after paternity, uh, sorry, maternity leave, yes. or even mums who previously did something different, have mm -hmm. taken time off to do their kids, and in that time decided, you know what, the games industry is something yes. I'm interested in working in. The only effort I've seen to kind of combat that is um, Rovio London, yes. um, which sadly closed now. Mm -hmm. um, Rovio London held last year a mum jam. They, awesome. held, they had a weekend-long <laughs> game jam where mums were invited to come and make games, and, and so and the idea was to encourage them to try and look at... You know, That's so cool. I mean, what more can we be doing Partly specifically for that, that but the, you know that that subset, but also like, like you know let's start tackling like what can we do to tackle ageism? Yeah, well, I think one of the things is I mean obviously the more exposure we have around the issues, so talking about it, um, addressing it in the workplace, um, talking about you know people in like the mums exact is a great example. That's a certain demographic who goes through a certain challenge, which I mean like, those that's a very specific challenge that. Um, is is not unique. I mean, it's you know a lot of people go through that. It's like why are we still struggling in, as an industry to cope with the fact that there are people in the industry, women, um, not enough, but those who decide to have a child, that it makes it difficult for them to you know do the human thing and contribute to you know <laughs> humanity's future, and then come back and you know have a, such a hard time getting back in. I think. 
that's good to highlight. I think the other thing that like what we were trying to do when I was at the IGDA was we started the, the mentor cafes. Um, so mentoring, I think, is a huge, huge component of um, how we pass along the knowledge. I mean, I, I happen to believe that the game industry best fits the Renaissance model of a creative workshop. You know, so like if you, for example, wanted to work in Leonardo's workshop way back when, you know, you could probably walk past and you're a kid and you, and you say, I'd love to work on this. It's like, great, grab a broom, start sweeping the workshop. Maybe in a year I'll let you chisel that, you know, leftover block over there. But it's all about a mentorship, apprenticeship kind mm. of relationship. And um, I think the game industry is very suitable for that. And um, so that's why I know I'm, I'm really big on mentoring. I think it's really important to get uh, people with experience, even if they're not you know, in their upper 30s, 40s, 50s, even if they've been in the industry five years and they're in their late 20s, they have a lot more knowledge than the students coming in have. So I think the value of passing along that knowledge, we need to keep emphasizing that. And what's interesting though is when I've done those mentoring events, um, when I reach out to professionals like veterans and like, hey, I'd love for you to be a part of this. Like, well, what, do, what do I know? You know, I don't, I don't know anything. I mean, I just, yeah, I've been working for 15 years in the industry, but you know, I, I can't really conceptualize what I know. I'm like, everything you know, though, is is 100% more than the student who's coming in. Mm. You know, so basically, anything you say is going to be useful. And what's interesting is when they do it for the very first time, they always, 100% of the time, they'll say, I love this. I'd love to do it again yeah. because they find out, yeah, I actually know stuff. Well, of course they do. They just yeah. it's also it's that chance to, to give back what you know, the type of support that, that you've already received. I, I spoke to um, Tim Schaefer early in the yeah. year, and he was talking about like the reason that he tries to get involved in mentoring and he tries to help out like you know smaller developers who come yeah. to him for advice is because when he thinks about it, like when he started, he got so much help. Like he you know, yeah. he got given the uh, the BAFTA fellowship this year. Right. When he was thinking about his thank thank you speeches. Like he was thinking about all the people who have helped him along the yeah. way, and it's like yeah, you know what like. I got so much help, it's only fair that I need to give that help back to the industry. So, yeah. I mean, that's another good reason to get involved in mentoring. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, of course, I, I think we need to, as for a lot of reasons, we need to rethink our hiring practices in the industry, mm. both around sexes issues, like unconscious bias, but the unconscious bias is not just about gender, of course, it could be about age as well. Yeah. And I actually think unconscious bias with age is actually almost equal or stronger than the unconscious bias around sex. Um, it's just my view. That's based on anecdotal evidence from talking to a lot of people yeah. in the industry. Um, you know, And I think that's one of the things where companies really need to evaluate, okay, here's the job description, here's what we really want them to do, here's how we see this role evolving in the company. You know, is it is it worthwhile to bring in somebody with five to ten years of existing experience and kind of help them grow this role? And you know, yeah, sometimes people feel that that's a risk because you know because they're older, they may not stick around a while. They might, you know, especially if they feel accomplished, then they might move on to something else. You know, as opposed to the younger person who's like, oh, you know, they want to get their stripes and kind of work their way up. Um, but I think all of those assumptions are false. It's just like, why don't you just give the person a chance, um, you know, bring in the experienced person, value the knowledge they have, even if even if they may not have worked in the industry for like two or three years. Let's say they, they couldn't find a job, so they went mm. and worked in the general tech sector instead or something else. It's like they still have perspective, though. Yeah. And they, they still have the perspective that is sorely lacking when you hire people fresh out of school. And I think our industry needs that desperately. It's like I think that's part of the reason why I feel, in a general sense, this industry is still immature mm. in a lot of ways, um, many, many ways. <laughs> um, we're immature in how we run our companies. We're immature a lot in 
Um, certainly in how we represent ourselves to the public as an industry, we don't really do that very well at all. Mm. Um, I just feel that we've, we've lost the public narrative. We actually never had it, to be honest. Um, and a lot of this, I think, is partially due to sort of this, this uh, you know, valuing the up-and-coming, valuing the new, valuing the youth. And, and yeah. You know, and not, what about savoring that knowledge and wisdom that's been accumulated over all those years and, and kind of re use that, those people to reflect on kind of where are we going? I mean, that kind of nicely brings us to the 50 over 50 list. This mm -hmm. part of why you ran that. I, mean, I remember when you first um, emailed me and let me know you, you right. were doing this. Like, yeah, the, you sound like the emphasis is always on those 30 under 30 yes. rising star lists. Now, yeah, I have to give it, I, I've worked for publications, we've run those. And mm -hmm. I, I personally think they are still important to do to sure. kind of highlight talent that people might not be aware of that is going to come up that in, mm -hmm. in 10, 20 years will be those you know, yes. big iconic figures. But why is it important to, to highlight the ones who are arguably already established? Well, I, I feel, I mean, yeah, I, there, and that's one of the things I want to clarify because I've had some people say, well, what's wrong with 30 under 30? I'm like, yeah, yeah. nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. I think that I think that the spirit of those lists is really great. I really think it's important to highlight the up and coming talent because there is a lot of amazing talent that's mm. coming into the industry. Yet, the 50 over 50 list, my point was there's also a lot of amazing talent that is still in the industry. Yeah. You know, remarkable talent that is still contributing to the industry in some way. And, um, and I think it's worth highlighting that because we, we often forget that. You know, I think we, because again, the perception is that we are such a youth-oriented industry, not only in who plays our games, which of course most of us know that it's not just youth. No. I mean, it's a, you know, pretty much ubiquitous across all demographics, so we need to realize that too. You know, so just on that angle alone, we talk a lot about the value of diversity, the ethnic and gender diversity in studios in order to make games that are more appealing to people who are already playing our games. You know, people who are ethnically and gender diverse. Mm. Well, what about age? Yeah. I mean, some of the older demographics are some of the fastest demographics of game players, you know, growing demographics that we see. You know, 40-year-olds, 40, 50-year-olds, 50 you know. So why would you not, by the same token, want to bring people in who represent that demographic to better make, to make games that are better for those yeah. people? It makes the it's the same logic. But I don't hear companies using that logic no. at all. So, um, so the 50 over 50 list was really, you know, it was less important about who specifically is on the list. It was more about just showing, like, here's an example, 50 people that were nominated by the crowd of people that I, you know, kind of appealed to, which is a large game developer crowd over a period of five weeks. Okay, just tell me people who are over 50 who you think should be highlighted. Yeah. And that was it. You so know. how did the, the list work then, like in terms of um, the actual process of, of putting it together, just so people are aware when, they, when they're going to see yeah. the list? Like. Yeah, so what I did is I set up a Google form and I asked people to basically nominate one person, you know, just give me a name, and I said you can do multiple nominations, you can nominate yourself if you feel compelled to do so. Um, but I basically set up a simple Google, Google form and just invited people to submit names. Go ahead and submit names and also give me a reason why. So basically, who are they? What, what are they? Why do you think they deserve to be on the list? Mm. And because some, actually, to be honest, some of the people that ended up on the final list, I not, I did not know them. Yeah. You know, and which I feel that's great because I think <laughs> it kind of the list now, you know, served part of my purpose, which is to highlight people who um, are out there in the community doing great work that we may not know about. Because certainly we know about the John Romeros and Brendan Romeros and yeah. you know, and the, and the Don Daglos and all those people, but. Um, you know, but there's a lot of other people doing great work that we just, 
I don't know. You so know? That, that must have been cool, like, so you could see the kind of surprise. I think I think we could all sit there and write probably a list of 50 iconic, oh, over yeah. 50 developers, like, just off the top of our heads. Like, yes. But to see, yeah, those who have, com- you know, have, have contributed to games in the industry, like, yes. that maybe haven't had the spotlight as much before, like, right. that's kind of a good thing to do. So, yeah. Right. And, and so one of, one of the things that's interesting, though, is so... Someone has pointed out in the last few days after I published the list, they're like, well, you know, a lot of these, there's a significant number of these people who are not actually making a game right now. So, yeah. so what is this list exactly? Well, part of it is that, as I mentioned on the, on the site that I put it up on, um, the way I define the industry is like, you know, I do include education. Education is part of our industry, in my view. It's, mm. it's they contribute, I mean, that's where talent's coming from, <laughs> you know, and that kind of speaks back to the mentorship educational component, you know. So there are people who used to be active game developers who are now in their 50s or older, but now they're in an educational mentorship role in the industry. I still think that's important. Mm. I think that's, I consider that to be an active role in, still, in the industry still. Um, and some people dispute that. So I'm like, well, I don't really think that, you know, they should be people who are actually working at game companies, um, which, fair enough, that's, you know, but... Yeah, but it doesn't erase their previous, contri- you know, their, their no, previous accomplishments, does absolutely it? absolutely not. Absolutely not, you know, and so... Um, and so there's a lot of good examples of people on that list that are in advisory roles, consultant okay. roles, education roles, and then someone else pointed out, and I think this was a fair criticism, though, they said, you know, the... One reason why a lot of those people are in those roles is because they can't find a job at a game dev company at their age. And I thought that was a very valid criticism. So I actually told this person that has inspired me to do a follow-up survey sometime in the next few weeks where I want to ask people who are in that age demographic, are you in that kind of role because you feel you're not able to get a job because of your age? That'd be interesting. I mean, looking specifically at my own discipline, like games journalism. Yeah. um, there are very few older games journalists. Yeah. Like people have been writing about games for what? Well, as long as the, the industry has been around, right. but there are very few older games journalists. They inevitably end up going into PR or marketing right. or the writing side of development or even just full-blown games development. Or right. they just leave the field in, in, entirely. They leave the industry entirely. So I'll be honest, like I <laughs> not not to share my own insecurities, but I do sometimes look as I write, ten years from now, where am I gonna be? Because not many people are still doing what I do. Like, yeah, well, it's, it's got to have a hope, I guess. Like, no, I mean, that's a great point, though, because when I mean, you think about journalists and other, in, like, classic journalism, like newspapers mm. or whatever, tons and tons of people yeah. who are older, and, and they're, like the, they're like the pillars of their organizations, and newspapers, radio stations, you know, even television stations, you know, it's usually the, the gray-haired guy, you yeah. know, and, and, like, the older woman who are doing the anchor desk kind of stuff. I think the trouble is we're, we're being replaced by all the, all the I don't know if you've noticed this week but yeah. all the people walking around with selfie sticks yes. who are broadcasting oh, yeah, on yes. Twitch that's our future yeah um, that's right we're being not... supplanted by that yeah so. exactly and that really hasn't happened in traditional journalism no so. no it hasn't you don't you don't have people like you know political correspondents like young political sort of correspondents walking around broadcasting on no. Twitch it doesn't happen no but yes okay <laughs> um, so so kind of what's the next step obviously you're, you're talking about doing um, this follow up survey like right. what's the next step in terms of uh, what can the industry do to talk about, identify, and combat ageism? Well, I think, yeah, other than the awareness that I'm trying to do, I'm hoping that this will spur other people to at least reflect on how the ageism issue is in their company or in their organization. Um, that's part of what I'm trying to do with this, you know. So think about, look around you. Are there people who are older in your organization? Are there people in their 40s and 50s? Um, and I don't mean just like C-level people. I mean, like, are there rank and file, are there designers, artists, writers? 
leaders, people around you who represent a broader age demographic, and if there aren't, ask yourself why. Mm. You know, not only ask yourself why, ask your company why. Ask the HR people why. You know, find out, uh, make some inquiries. I don't mean like investigate, but you know, basically be curious. You know, why why isn't there a broader age demographic within your company? And um, you know, that's part of what I feel is is necessary to address the issue. If if more people in in just in their jobs would would step up with some level of accountability for their company and ask that kind of question. It was the same issue when I was speaking a lot about sexism in the industry and about gender diversity. Why don't you ask HR, why are we not hiring more women? Why are yeah. we hiring more people of color? You know, what are, what are the blocking issues that are stopping us from doing this? Um, you know, and I think those are all valid questions that anybody in any company should ask and should escalate in order to just get the conversation going. Um, so I think for me, that's one thing I would love to see people do. Um, it doesn't have to be an argument, it doesn't have to be screaming or in your face, it just has to be a simple, you know, very simple query saying, hey, I'm really curious, why don't we have people who represent that kind of age group? I don't understand. Um, you know, and I also think it's really important to talk to people like I'm trying to do, talk to people who are in that demographic to ask them, what challenges are you facing? Because that's really what I want to find out is, what is the mechanic that is that is trying that is preventing them from getting jobs? Yeah. You know, is it just flat out bias, or is it something else? Um, I, you know, I, the gut reaction is like, yeah, it is an unconscious bias against older people, but I'd like to know more depth behind that. Like, exactly how is that representing itself, and what are companies trying to do about it? Um, and so I think the more discussion we can have around it, the more awareness we can have around it, I'm going to keep pushing this issue, like I said, with a follow-up survey. Um, I know a lot of people are asking me to do this list again next year, yeah. um, which I probably will. This was really an experiment. It was yeah. just kind of just float a trial balloon and see how people would react. And I'm actually very pleased with the, with the reactions and the conversations that have resulted from it. So I probably will do a list again. Um, you know, the same people can't show up again. No, obviously. <laughs> They'll kind yeah. of go in the over 50 Hall of Fame and have, <laughs> have a new list of people. It's been interesting to see. Because I, I, as, I, as I mentioned, I've, I've previously worked on publications that have run that, that 30 under 30 style list. Mm -hmm. And every single time you do, you always get that. Well, where's 40 over 40? Yes. Where's 50 over 50? <laughs> where's 100 under 100? Like, yeah. the people... Like, and, and the, some of them, yes, it is just people wanting recognition for, yes. for what they do. And But some people are like, yeah, it was genuinely a, a call for demand. The argument I used to see against those people, like because you know, it would spark stuff on Twitter, it's like, well, the argument, the, the, some people's argument was that, well, 40 over 40, 50 over 50, these people are already established, therefore don't need highlighting, therefore it would just be like to serve the ego, but like that's not what this list has been about, like, no. like yeah, I mean, response to those people, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean the, the, the list is about highlighting ageism, and yeah. the fact, and, 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 and ageism in, in this context where I'm saying that a lot of people forget that there's a lot of people who are older in this industry who are still actively working. You know, so we have, again, to go back to that idea that we we strongly have this perception that we are a youth culture in this industry, as is the general tech sector. And there's been all kinds of studies about that in the general tech sector showing that, yeah, there is, it's very much biased towards hiring younger people. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not older people working and contributing every single day no. to this industry. And I think it's important to highlight that. I mean, in the risk of doing a Nintendo fanboy example like Shigeru Miyamoto, he clearly has still got some ideas to, to contribute. Oh, ab so, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. And there's all kinds of people like that who fit that yeah. description. You know, all kinds of people. So it's like, that. that's another thing. It's like we, 
like I mentioned, in fiction we value these wizened older characters. Well, even in the game industry, there are veterans who we revere. You know, Will Wright and Sid Meier and Nolan Bushnell and Gabe Newell and all these other names that are more publicly known. Um, you know, and they are people who are all over 50, some, you know, over 60 or more. And nobody's criticizing them for what they're doing, even though all of them are still active in some capacity. So, okay, so great. So we have some examples of that, which are positive. Why not just, why can't you extrapolate that to anybody who's in the industry who's of that age demographic? Yeah. And that's the problem I'm seeing. You know, at least at the functional level within companies where it's like you reach a certain age and it's kind of like the movie Logan's Run. If you're over 30, you're basically, you know, removed. <laughs> you're not <laughs> useful anymore. Hopefully it never gets to that stage. <laughs> no. Um, okay, thank you so much for your time today. Obviously, like, very busy week. Um, mm -hmm. Again, we're here at E3. So, kind of, last kind of question, like, kind of, as a, as a nice kind of wrap-up. Mm -hmm. What have you seen this week that's really impressed you? Like, what, what, you know, stepping aside from the ages and yeah. like, games. Let's talk about games. Yes. What have you seen that's impressed you? Um, there's some really cool stuff. I mean, I, I have a soft spot for Halo because I worked on some of the games. So I, I still, Halo Infinite, yeah, I get excited because I want to play it. It's, it's um, when you see the helmet and that music. Like, I'm not even a Halo fan, and I was yeah. like, oh! Yeah, there's a certain <laughs> mystique and a certain just thing to it. I mean, we're talking, we're on 17 years of Halo now. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, it's, it's a special place for me. Um, Elder Scrolls 6. I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 looks very cool. Have you seen the demo? I did. That, Amazing. It, that impressed yeah. me. I yeah. mean, I, I that's something, that's one of the games here where I'm like, I would like to play that today. Yes. Like right now. I, you know, I've literally <laughs> just been CD Projekt Red's booth and I was asking that. Like, really? Can you, just, can you just finish this, please? Yeah, that looks really cool. I mean, yeah. that's kind of almost like the Blade Runner-ish Blade Runner game we've been wanting for many, many, many yes. years. Um, so that's really cool. Um, other than that, yeah, there's some cool stuff here and there. Nothing that really jumps out strongly at me. Mm. Um, yeah, and of course I've been reading, like, I didn't go to press the press events, because I don't like them, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> They're boring. But, um, but yeah, certainly I read, you know, I watched some of the videos and read the recaps and things like that, and it sounds, yeah, mixed reviews on people. It sounds like Microsoft did fairly well, Sony maybe not as well, and yeah, well, I don't know. To be fair, you say, you say that, you know, and I agree, like, the, the conferences can be somewhat boring in that they come but similar. Sony, bless them, tried very hard to do something different. Yeah. Whether or not it worked, jury's still out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> which um, is great. I mean, because I mean, I having gone to a lot of press events in the past, um, it's just painful. It's painful to watch to watch executives get up there and rehearse. Yeah, you know, do a rehearsed speech that they've rehearsed twenty five times, and it's very mechanical and odd. And some of them do it pretty well, and some it's just it's just awkward. It's yeah. like just. Just do the five-minute bullet points on a PowerPoint. We're done. Go to demos. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that's I'm just impatient. But um, but no, there's there's some cool stuff. Yeah. There are some cool stuff. I mean, certainly, you know, for me, I walk the show floor as a gamer. You know, also in the industry, but I also try and look at it from a gamer's perspective. Like, would I play this? Does this excite me? I mean, the Destiny 2 expansion looks cool. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, there are certain aspects of certain games where I'm like, okay, this I might play this. So nice. yeah, but yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I'll, I'll let you get back back to your show wanderings. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining us. That's been fantastic. Thank you. And um, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with an episode with Mike Biffle talking about his uh, surprise release, Quarantine Circular, and the the interest in in shorter shorter games and quicker releases. Uh, in the meantime, you can find all your news, analysis, and insight into the world behind video games at GamesIndustry.biz.